Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais Maaser, the laws of tithing. Perik Shlesha Osar, chapter 13. We're winding down. We're about to complete the laws of tithing, which have, I believe, 14 chapters. So we're in, we're starting 13. And the way the Rambam structures it, the laws of tithing also include the laws of demai, when we're not sure whether produce was treated properly and whether tithing was taken from it. The rabbinic law of demai, domai, what is this? So he goes on to say, peres, produce, shecheskosan minahepker, produce, of the type which we can safely assume comes from an ownerless source. We learned earlier that anything that has been declared ownerless does not have the obligations of tithing. So it looks like, by definition, this comes from an ownerless place because it's the type of produce that grows in the wild. Again, for example, and he brings a bunch of examples here. Hashisin, wild figs, vehorimim, and uh, brush berries, azrodin, and thorn apples, or crab apples, ovenes shuach, white figs, ovenes shikma, other species of wild figs, vihagufnim, anis, vehenebles, tomorrow dates that fall off the tree, vehen shadayin lehitilu as long as they have not yet become rancid or, or, or sour or develop the yeast-like look. Hanitzpa, capers, the hakuzbar, coriander, kayetzebohem, all of these, by definition, grow on their own in the wild by and large. They're ownerless. And therefore, because of this, piturin minadamai, they are exempt from the rabbinic Law of demai. What is demai? Demai is I buy produce or somebody gives me produce. I'm not sure whether the guy who gave it to me or sold it to me tied it or not. He's not reputable because he's not meticulously God-fearing Torah scholar. He's not in that category. So I'm not sure if he did or he didn't. In this case, who cares? Because it's probably ownerless. So the whole law does not apply. And therefore, somebody who purchases any of the above from an unlearned person, ordinarily he would have to do the demai ritual. What did we learn earlier is the way to correct demai. It's a very liberal way. We only have to take one hundredth and give it, set it aside for truma. And then we can take 10% and set it aside for the second tithe. What about the first tithe for the levy? What about the first what, what, what about the first tithe for the levy? What about all the other obligations such as the poor man's tithe in year three and six? The answer is because it's doubtful, let them prove that it wasn't given by the owner. A Talmudic axiom. He who tries to extract something from someone else has to prove his point. 
possession is nine-tenths of the law. In this case, being that it probably came about in an ownerless setting, the whole thing does not apply. Because we can assume that it came from an ownerless background. Even if this unlearned seller or farmer said to him, Listen, my friends, we did not tie this. Well, you know what? He doesn't know that you don't have to tithe it. These are exempt from tithe. Until one finds out for sure that this came from a guarded field. Because that was one of the conditions we learned earlier. Definition of where miser has to be given. One of the conditions is it's a field that is guarded. Private. And therefore as an outgrowth of law one, law two. Habakures vasiopes. Early fruit that ripens very early in the season before the security guard comes. Vasiopes and stuff that ripen very late in the season after the security guard is gone. Shebebika in the valley. Why the valley? First of all, they want to make us feel at home because we are in Chabad of the valley. But more than that, the valley means it's not in your backyard. It's in his field in the valley, far away from home. So during busy season, he has a security guard. But the early stuff and the late stuff is not guarded. Doesn't meet the criteria of my served as if it's not guarded, if it's just open to everybody. So in this case, the whole my law does not apply. DNA does not apply. But if it's in your garden, outside your house, this is obligated because it's guarded, it's watched. Because it is watched, it is secure. What's the definition of bakures, of early ripened produce? Definition is very simple. Any produce which ripened before the guard was assigned on that season. What's the late ripening stuff? The produce, which will remain. After the reapers, those who work the field, fold away their nets and they left them without guards, that's when anything that grows in that field is considered ownerless. And similarly speaking, wine vinegar, which was made not from wine, but from wine dregs. Wine dregs are usually left ownerless. You're making vinegar from it. It can't be very quality stuff. We learned earlier that you could take wine dregs and add water and let it sit, and you could have more wine. But in this case, you can't even do that. You can only make vinegar. Potter minat demai. This is also exempt from demai. Now we go back to something we learned much earlier. We learned uh, in the laws of Truma, first chapter, about which borders in Israel are geographically obligated in Truma's Meiser and which ones are not and only rabbinically obligated. So just to give you some background, we learned earlier in the very beginning of the laws of Truma that when the Jews came out of Egypt with Moses, 
with Moshe Rabbeinu. And they went into Eretz Yisrael with Yehoshua 40 years later. And they settled into Eretz Yisrael and they conquered the land. Those sections of Israel which ultimately became the first commonwealth, the sanctity as it relates to Trumus and Mises of Israel did not remain permanently. So that when they were exiled, the relationship to the land from the perspective of Truma and Meiser was suspended. However, during the second commonwealth, when Ezra brought back the people during the second commonwealth, the second Beis era, there that became permanently connected to the Jewish people from the perspective of the laws of Trumas and Mises, the whys and the what are not for now, and therefore let's go into three, Kishagozer Admai. When our sages issued the decree about Dmai, which we learned earlier, if my memory serves me correct, was ordained by Rabban Gamliel after Shimon Hatzadik, after Simon the Just. I'm sorry, which was ordained in the days of Yochanan Kohen Godel after Shimon HaTzadik. And we learned that Shimon HaTzadik was of the last members of the men of the great assembly. So it was in that later era of the Anshe Knesset HaGdela, like Gozru, the only decree was only on the produce of the areas where the Babylonian Aliyah took hold. Shehu, which is, as we learned earlier, Mikziv, from the geographical point of the city of Gziv, Ulifnim, and In. Gziv Atzma, but Gziv itself, that city, Kilachutz, is outside the boundary. And therefore, we learned earlier, all the produce from the city of Ziv and outside the line, Pturim in Admai, they never had this rabbinic decree applied to it. Because they have to, we have to safely assume that the produce comes from Ziv and within. And therefore, anything from Ziv and without never had the decree of Dmai applied to it. Therefore, as an outgrowth of law three, we have law four, that produce, which is known to be produce of the land which the Babylonian Aliyah conquered, liberated, settled in. Even though now this produce is located in Ralph's market. That's our big supermarket here, Ralph's Market in Syria. But when you walk into Ralph's Market in Syria, it says, fruits made in Israel, grown in Israel. So the fact that it's in Syria is immaterial. It's grown in Israel. Certainly if it's not Syria, but it's in the original part of Israel, which Joshua caused the people, Yeshua caused the people to conquer and we know the produce was grown in Israel proper post 
Ezra, Israel. So the big question is, if it's grown in the second commonwealth, Israel, but it's now located in Syria or in first commonwealth, Israel, what's the halacha as it relates to Demai? This is obligated in the laws of Demai because it grew in Ezra's Israel. And you have to set aside the minimum Demai requirement, and that is the 1% for the Truma of the Meiser. And, as we learned earlier, the second tithe, which is private property of the farmer anyway, because he's going to spend it on himself and his guests in Jerusalem. Therefore, particularly fatty figs, that particular species is only found growing in the land of Israel, taken by the Babylonian Aliyah. So also large dates. And straight carobs, many carobs around, these are straight carobs. And very white rice. The hakamon and cumin. Hagodal oversized cumin herbs. Misashin and demai basuria. The Demai law applies even though they are now found in Joshua's Israel or in Syria, which is an adjacent country. And anything similar with this produce, as long as we can safely assume it grew in Ezra's Israel, the obligation of Demai takes hold. Therefore, when donkey drivers bring produce to Tyre, which is in Lebanon, Sir, Tyre is Lebanon, adjacent country to Israel. Chayovim bidmai, the obligation of Demai exists. Why? Because we don't really know where the donkey drivers picked up their load from. But we can safely assume with the geographic proximity of Tyre to Ezra's Israel that that's where they grew. Because that's relatively speaking the closest shipping source point. However, if we're talking about rice, we're not concerned about the Demai law. Any rice found outside of Israel, even close to Ezra's Israel, are exempt from the laws of Demai, unless it was obvious that it was rice grown in Israel, as mentioned before, commission beyond what if somebody purchases produce from the owners of storehouses in Tzair, in Tyre? In other words, he's not going to a corner grocery. He's going to Costco. He's going to the big storehouse. What is the deal with the big storehouse? Because they get a lot of stuff from all over the place. This is exempt from the Dmai law. We don't say, well, wait, wait a minute. Maybe this is produce grown in Israel from the Babylonian Aliyah. No. So also on the other end of the spectrum, one lone donkey 
who came in loaded, laden to Tsur, to Tyre, the Hutan Pedas loaded with produce, Potter Minadmai. One lone donkey does not travel from Ezra's Israel, from the Israel of the Babylonian Aliyah to Tyre. You need a caravan for that. We can assume it comes from the local fields. What about Sidon? This is obligated. And there's an interesting... Uh, because it's closer than Tyre. And there's an interesting note here, a geographical note. We have our geographic, geography expert walking out the door now. But there's an interesting note here where it says that the commentaries questioned the Rambam's comment, noting that in fact Tyre is closer to Israel than Sidon, although than Sidon, although the Rambam says here Sidon is closer. And amongst the explanations given is that back then there were two cities named Sidon, and the smaller one was in fact closer to Israel than Tyre explained in commentaries on the Rambam. So the Rambam says that if somebody purchases from Sidon, close to Israel, he's obligated in Demai, because we can safely assume that this produce comes from the land of Israel, which was occupied by the Babel, I don't want to use the word occupied, which, in which there lived the Aliyah, of Babylon. However, somebody buys from donkey drivers inside and Potem and Adamai is exempt because donkey drivers come from a longer way. Because a caravan of donkeys usually comes from far away. What about the, the, the following question. We're in the right geographical place. We're in Israel proper, the same Israel that was resettled by the Babylonian Aliyah. However, the seller in this case is not a Jew. A non-Jewish seller, his produce doesn't have the obligation of tithing. However, we don't know whether this businessman, whether he's the farmer or he's just an agent who bought it from a Jewish farmer. In that case, there is the obligation of demai. So he says when a non-Jewish wholesaler, businessman, sells produce, if we clearly know that he was an intermediary buying from Jewish farmers, then certainly his produce have the laws of demai. The fecal, therefore, barishena in the beginning, the time when most of Israel was owned by Jews, no matter which businessman you buy from who's not Jewish, you can assume that his suppliers are Jewish, because the vast majority of farmers were Jewish. By the way, as we've learned many times, and as we will continue to learn, it's all about majority. If the majority of the suppliers the farmers are Jewish, then we have to assume that this is produce that came from a Jewish farm. Then then the Demai law does apply. Even though you're actually buying it from a non-Jew, just as you bought it from an unlearned Jew, because it's probably coming from a Jewish farm. And farmer. 
Tes Ezel Tagar, define the word Tagar, which means a merchant. A merchant to somebody. We see him selling produce once and twice and three times. So we're assuming it's not from his field. But if he brought it only once, even if he's bringing three loads at once, or the three loads were driven by him, driving one load, his son another load, an employee a third load, so he looks like a businessman. No, maybe he just has a very big field. He's not considered a merchant. Yud when our sages issued the decree, Al Admai, for Demai, they only decreed, I'll pay this chutzloch and it's for produce. They did not issue the decree for diaspora produce brought into Israel. No Demai decree applies at all. So if you import produce from Syria or from Egypt and you bring it into Israel, there's no Demai law. The decree was never issued. Eleven. <laughs> what if this particular market, you're in a farmer's market in Israel, and by and large, the produce in this market is grown in the correct parts of Israel. Ezra's Israel. Then it has the demai obligation. But if the majority grows outside of the correct neighborhood, if the diaspora produce in this market is more than the Israel produce, so also particular items and species where we can safely assume that they're imported from outside of Israel because they're simply not native. Again, for example, egoism, certain types of nuts. The dramaskois, he translates here as plums, then by definition, they are exempt. As the notes here say that this particular species of plums, described as dramaskois, were native to Damascus, Syria, not Israel. In order to determine whether this produce is from outside of Israel or from Israel proper, our sages did not follow the look of it. Or the taste, or the aroma, what they really follow is the majority. If most of it is imported, then it's permissible. Most of it is local, native to Israel, then it's forbidden. We go by majority. If the majority in the city was from Israel, but not in the state or, or in the country, on the mountain and not in the valley. In the valley and not in the mountain. In stores, but not in private homes. In private homes, but not in stores. The situation where the majority is from outside of Israel, then there's no Demai law. Where the majority is not, there is the Demai law. 13, if there are more diaspora produce in the market, and now the condition changed and there's less, then it goes back 
to the old assumption. Demai is required. Yudalit. Now the Rambam gives us a list of stuff where the Demai decree was never applicable. The following list is a list of items which never took on the decree of Demai. Halekeach Peiris, where the, demai, the decree of Demai was never intended. Halekeach Peiris, Lizriya, Elahachal of Number one, if somebody purchases produce to plant, not to eat, but to plant, or for animal food, Kemach, if somebody purchases flour, but not to bake, Le'eres, he's going to use the flour for processing animal hides. You have to apply, as we learned earlier, flour. We learned it in the laws of Tefillin and Mezuzah. Or, he's processing a bandage, and he uses, you know, cornstarch. <laughs> he uses flour. Shemen he's processing olive oil, but he's kindling candles with it. He's kindling lamps with it. He's not eating a losach bayasakelim, or he is applying the oil to various furniture or utensils. He's oiling the squeaky wheel. Yayin or wine for an eye ointment. The ingredient requires wine, a little wine. The chalas am ho'oretz. This rule of Demai also applies to Chala. There's a whole section, the laws of Chala, which we're going to learn of an unlearned person. Vihamaduma, or a mixture of Truma and non-Truma of an unlearned person. These are all serious, serious laws. Because just as we learned earlier, even the unlearned person is meticulously observant with Truma. The same applies with Chala, because there's a life and death issue in Chala as well, as well as with Meduma, Obviously with meduma, meduma is a mixture of truma and non-truma. Not enough non-truma to nullify it. Less than 100 to 1. Or less than, uh, yeah, less than 100 to 1. Or, and that's the next section of laws we're going to be learning. Something purchased with money from the second tithe. Although the second tithe seems to be much more liberal the farmer himself takes it to Jerusalem, he takes the money to Jerusalem, and he spends it on certain things. It's not like it's liberal, it's just a different kind of law, but it's very stringent. As we will learn, or any flour left over from meal offerings, or anything added to the first fruits, in addition to the first fruits, which were mandatory, some of the wealthier farmers added extra, and that becomes like the first fruits. All of the above never had the Demai law applied to it. And if an unlearned person says, these are good, there's no tithe obligation whatsoever. Somebody purchases produce with the intent to eat it. And then he said, yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give this to my animal. I'm going to give it to... When I was a kid, the, the most favorite cow was Elsie. To Elsie the cow. Anybody remember Elsie? Yeah. Elsie the cow. He should not then sell this 
to a non-Jew, he should not feed it to an animal, even to other, other people's animals, until he corrects this. Why? Because you can't sell it even to a non-Jew, you can't feed it to an animal, because when you purchased it, it was with the intent of eating it. So there's no way out. You have to do the Dmai ritual. Tezai and Shemen Ore my fragrant oil, which is used for fragrance, is exempt from Dmai. Shein Chaskosi Lachila, because it's not used for eating. Shemeshalaka Chasedik Lusita Batsemer. When you have a comber of wool, a professional who combs lamb's wool, and he uses oil in order to have the wool not tangle, like no more tangles. It's like wool, no more tangles. Potter min admai, this oil is exempt from the Tamai law. But Neshu Nibla Batsama, because it's absorbed in the wool and it's not going to be eaten. Or not going to be absorbed in the human body. But when you have a weaver who uses olive oil to keep his fingers moist, that's already being absorbed in the skin, which we learned earlier is like drinking. This is obligated in the Demai ritual, because it's absorbed within the body of the person. And the rule is, and we learned this earlier actually in the laws of Yom Kippur, the Sicha. He kishsia b'chol mokim that anointing one's body with oil, absorbing body of oil into the body, is like drinking oil or eating oil in all instances. Yud zayin evit kechavim sheshalmi yisraelit nishem and amakosei. What if a non-Jew who's not obligated in any tithing laws? Requested a Jew, he says, do me a favor, I have a, a wound, a rash on my back, and I can't reach my back. Do me a favor, put some oil, olive oil stuff on my back. Then he's forbidden to use his own oil if it's certain, certainly not been tithed, but he is permissible because this is a non-Jew who's asking him to do it, to do it with Dmai, so this would not apply to the non-Jew. What if the non-Jew placed lots of olive oil on a bed, on, on a tablet, and then rolled around on it? That's one way of reaching his back. The question is, can the Jew go and sit down afterwards and absorb the oil? Because it has not been tied. The answer is yes, it's fine. It's just left over. If somebody had oil, meaning olive oil, from Demai fall upon his skin, so what, what does he have to do? Should he freak out? No. He should just rub it in and not, not worry about it. When somebody purchases wine for fish brine or a mixture of wine and water or legumes to crush and mix with honey, which are secondary usages of wine and the wine has to be tied, the, the, the my law does apply. But if somebody buys fish brine and it happens to have in the ingredients a little wine, not a problem. A alunisis 
or he happens to buy a mixture of wine and oil, or he buys crushed legumes and honey, then let's not worry about the little bit of ingredient that's mixed into it as it relates to demai. Because the sages who issued this decree did not issue the decree out to Rubus demai for a mixture of demai. If that which was mixed with demai was something very pugnant, very powerful, like spices or yeast. The halacha says that something very powerful that can transform a whole pot can't disappear so quickly. And that includes yeast, which can transform a whole dough. And spices, you know, you put a little too much pepper in, some people can't handle it. Because its flavor is so obviously evident, they're not nullified, and therefore because of that little bit of spice or yeast, which is obligated in demai, the whole thing becomes obligated, even though we just said that when a little bit is mixed in, it's not a problem like the wine into the fish brine. And what if the above items which are exempt from the demai law, in his skin and demai, what if the person didn't know and did the demai procedure anyway? What is the demai procedure? We've talked about this a hundred times. The demai procedure is you have to take one hundredth off for the Kohen. You have to set aside the second tithe and redeem it. Why the one hundredth? Because that's a life and death law. Why the second tithe? Because he's going to spend it on himself anyway. Why not the first tithe? Why not the poor man's tithe? Because let them prove it was not taken by the other guy. It's only a financial issue. Masha osui osui. What's done is done. I don't mean to say it's only a financial issue. But it's more of a financial matter than a sanctity matter. But if he corrected the demai like regular crops, and he set aside the first truma, which he's not obligated to do because we assume the unlearned man did that already. He set aside tithing, which he's not obligated to do. Or he corrected certain untithed produce in the demai procedure. This is a problem. Houston, we got a problem. But also, Klumi did nothing. What if the whole city sells untithed produce? Truma is not taken from it. Mice is not taken. And one guy sells the mai. And the guy went and bought. He went to the food court where everybody sells food. And he bought produce. He has no idea which merchant he bought it from. They all look the same. Kate said, Misakin, how do you correct it? He has to set aside Truma. 2%. He has to set aside Trumas Meiser, an additional 1%. Give it to the Kohen. And he only has to set aside the second tithe, because he's going to spend that on himself in Jerusalem. And it should be treated with leniencies like the second tithe of Demai 21, the last paragraph of. Chapter 13, so also, if there were two containers of produce sitting in front of him, one was clearly tevel. What's tevel? Produce from which Truma and Meiser, nothing had been taken. It's just raw produce. 
Yachas Mesukin and one, everything had been done properly, the Truma and the Meiser, everything. And now one of those containers disappeared. Or as one of my kids used to say when they were young, it just, it disappeared. I don't know, it disappeared. Now he has the surviving container. He sets aside the 2%, the main truma from it. Or truma smicer as well as the additional percent of the truma which the Levite would give. So a total of 3%. So he gives it to any Kohen. And he sets aside the second tithe only treating it like Demai because of its doubtful condition. End of chapter 13.